like me needing to reply to the thought of not not just commenters, but like people in my real life, like, oh man, this person I worked with years ago, like doesn't like me. Okay. That doesn't bother me at all anymore. I don't care. Like it's not my, it's not my business. It's not worth my time. It's not my problem. And I think a lot of people that are in the, getting into the public sphere or who are friends of mine who are starting to like get more public or who are starting to have some criticism for their work or whatever are like devastated, like cannot recover from one person being like, I didn't enjoy this book. Yeah, but I don't know if that's that relatable to most people who are not in the public sphere and who still struggle with this. No, but I think like the idea that someone out in the world doesn't like you, like even like exes, like an ex of mine who we know is a person who is like, it has to make good with all of their exes because if they have an ex, that even if it's fake, because if they have an ex that like thinks one bad thought about them, they like fully can't handle it. But this is different to me than self-love. Like, I think there's a component to it yeah. where self-love means that like how you feel about yourself is much more important than how other people feel about you. Right. But, it's, but all of that it, comes from insecurity. All of this behavior of like, I need to make sure I'm pleasing everyone and I need to be perfect in every way at all times is like, is just like exhausting and comes from insecurity and and doesn't, it, it's it's a waste of your time, Dora, basically. But in terms of like practical advice, to me, the thing I look to always is intention. Okay. Right? Because you can't you can't control how someone else is going to react to you. You can't control anything other than your own actions. And so for me, it's always like, what was my intention? Was mm-hmm. I intending to be mean? Was I intending to hurt someone? Was I, you know, like, if your intentions are good and you're trying to be a good person and you put out good energy into the world, the rest of it is like, fuck it, who cares? <laughs> yeah, but but harping on, if you're a perfectionist, it's so hard to get to who cares. Right, but I think that that's what you have to get to. I mean, I used to be incredibly insecure and a perfectionist, and I'm not those things anymore. How did you stop being a perfectionist, though? The thing about being a perfectionist (laughs) is the assumption that you can eventually do something perfectly. Yeah, okay. And that is a false belief. Yes. Like, Let's get into that. (laughs) I think that being a writer made me have to, like, lose that very quickly. If you're a perfectionist, you're never going to turn your script in. Mm-hmm. You're never yes. you're never going to finish your work. Absolutely. You're never going to let anyone see or listen to anything that you've ever made or done. Yes. And, and you'll never and, and and if you're not an artist, if you're uh, uh, just a person, uh, you're, you're never going to make any moves. You're never going to do anything. You'll never make a friendship. You'll never get into a relationship, whatever, because you're so paralyzed by make, needing everything to be perfect that you never end up doing anything that is living life. Exactly. And you don't take risks. You don't apply, mm-hmm. maybe you don't apply to things. Maybe you don't, tr- you know, try to wow your boss with a new idea. Like, right. It's debilitating. And another thing I really like to remind myself is everyone is not that great. <laughs> Oh, my God. People are so bad at what they do. People are terrible at what they do. So many people make way too much money and have had way too much success out of pure luck and happenstance. Uh, This is not uh, a – what is it called? Meritocracy. Yeah, this is not a meritocracy. So if we lived in a world where meritocracy was how things were governed, which means that, like – how well someone does directly relates to their life and how much money they make and how much success they have. Mm -hmm. I understand perfectionism. But guess what? This is not a meritocracy. So much of life is just pure luck. It's Mm -hmm. how you were born. It's social economic. It's racism. It's sexism. Like, there's so many things working against you that even if you do your fucking best and you take eight years on a project, so everyone might say, nah, you're not hip right now. Exactly. So all that you could do is just 
try, and then let it go. Yep. And understand that there's so much going on that is beyond your control. So like, again, like, again to not make it industry, but like you go into, like we go into an audition, I have no idea why I didn't get the part. Yeah. But there's no point in me thinking about that because right. it could easily be they cast someone's cousin. Yeah. They didn't like the way that I looked. It could be I'm a terrible actress. I don't, don't know. know. But like the idea of like wasting my time trying to figure out what the issue is is only a detriment to me because everyone else has moved on. Yeah. So like, yeah, like for for you, Dora, like it, it seems like a lot of times it's about control and like you can't control anything. You can barely, you can almost only control your own reaction to things. And Absolutely. that's it. You can't control, I mean, you can control if you do like take steps, right? If you do ask out the cute person, if you do go to your boss with a new idea, if you do want to do things to move your life forward, but you can't control if they go perfectly. That person has a right to say no to your date. The boss has a right to say, I don't like that idea, whatever it is. But like you, that's once you do your part, you got to let go. And you have to feel some accomplishment in just trying. Exactly. You know, putting yourself out there. It, like, I think we need to like stop being so focused on outcomes and more about the journey. Yes. Which I know is like a cliche to say, but like, guess what? You get that one thing, you still have like 70 more years of your life to live. Exactly. <laughs> like if you just are, are constantly only tuned into like specific goals and hitting specific milestones, like your life is just going to be so tedious yeah. and you're never going to be able to enjoy the moment. Yeah. And you also really have to like look around and realize again, so many people suck. So there's mm -hmm. probably a lot about you and your personality that's awesome. So I think it can be, it can really help to just sort of like sit down and, and list your positive traits. Oh yeah. I love to do Yeah. Make a list of your positive traits. Even like ask your friends. Um, This is kind of strange, but I had a, a friend who texted like a, a bunch of us and was kind of like, hey, what would you say is like a good quality about me? And what would you say is a bad quality about me? What'd just you to say? Be uh, what did I say to her? I said that I like that she's very open-minded uh, and and fun. But then I was like, but I also, I think you, and this gave me a place to say this thing that I really did think, which is like when she gets into a relationship, she disappears. And I don't see her for like four months. Interesting. So I was like, I, you know, those, those are my notes. Like she was asking <laughs> for notes on herself. Yeah. Which was like so interesting. I'd never had anyone do that. I right now I would not suggest that for you, Dora. Instead, but, I would say you should make a list of things that you like about yourself. Think about like if you met yourself, like would you want to hang out with yourself? Probably. Mm -hmm. You're probably like interesting and funny and have good intentions, and mm -hmm. you know. And so, uh, again, I say this all the time, but it's about controlling what you're thinking. So also, you, not everyone's gonna like you, right? But like you can't. Don't let yourself think negative things about yourself. Mm -hmm. Just like stop it. And instead replace it with something you like about yourself. Yeah. I understand that I am a loud talker. And I know that some people don't like that. So like if I'm like, oh, these, this person, you know, if I, if someone's like, I don't really want to hang out with Gabby. She's annoying. I'm like, yeah, I get it. Like I don't – I kind of have reached a place of like not everyone has to like me. So like I think like that's a big part of it too is this this striving for like I need to be seen as cool by everyone. I need everyone to like me is like you can also just go like I like, I like this about myself. I understand this is what I'm like. D do I sometimes then go, oh, you know what? I remember that. So in public, I'll be a little, my, I'll lower my voice a little bit. Yeah. But like, I'm not going to be like, oh, no, this one person thought I was a loud talker. I'm devastated. Like, I'm just like, all right, you win some, you lose some. But like, what do you love about yourself? That what I'm saying is fascinating. <laughs> and that people should really listen to me because I am a human Wikipedia page and I have a lot of fun facts. Okay. 
Do you, and do you feel like you're at a place where you love yourself? Um, yeah, I'm doing like a, a much better job of it. I mean, it's tough because I do have like deep, deep depression. So like it is like this thing where like I will be like, yes, I do love myself. And then like a, a like a sweeping mental illness will come in and be like, no, you don't. And I know that that isn't me. Mm-hmm. So I am having a hard time dividing those two and being like, what actually is me and what isn't me? So it's hard. So like I want to be like, yes, I do. But I also know that like, you know, three months ago, like a little gnarled witch in my brain was like, (laughs) kill yourself. So, but how much of that is me? Oh, now we're getting into a discussion of how much is yourself versus how much is your mental illness. But you know what I mean? Exactly. In terms of practical, tangible things to do, I think you sit down. I think you write a list of the things that you like about yourself. Mm -hmm. I also think that you can write a list of things that you want to work on. Yeah. You know, I I disliked a lot of things about myself, Mm -hmm. and then I worked on them. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I feel really proud that I worked on them. Mm -hmm. And the fact that I'm someone who works on her issues is something I now love about myself. Right. So it doesn't mean that you have to be like, I'm the fucking best and I make no mistakes and I'm the I'm the coolest. Mm-hmm. It's instead it's saying I I am striving to be my best self every day and the person I am today is is a wonderful, beautiful person and tomorrow she'll be even better. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. It doesn't mean you don't have any flaws. Exactly. And but, you can always fix stuff. Yeah. And it's also just knowing that at your core is good. At your yeah. core is someone who has value and someone who has worth. And you have to always remind yourself of that. Mm-hmm. And I also think another big thing is to treat yourself like um, a separate person who is your friend. Mm. And and to sort of be like, hey, don't talk to my friend that way when yeah. you're talking about yourself. Yeah. That can help. Yeah. Um, and then I think also tr- get, like treating yourself to things. Like, like an ice cream? Yeah. Like, honestly, like, take yourself out. Have a nice day with yourself. Do things that you like. Like, you know, uh, just, like, give your give yourself love, and then you'll feel love back. Yeah. How do you feel about affirmations, like, in the mirror? I think people should do whatever they want. Yeah. <laughs> like, if that works for you, that's great. Yeah. I think that gratitude is a huge game changer. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of focusing on what you don't have, focus on what you do have mm-hmm. and what you appreciate. Mm-hmm. I also think that if you are more loving towards the people around you, you'll end up being more loving towards yourself. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you express gratitude towards the important people in your life, like your friends and your great family, mm-hmm. you know, like, I think... I think just positivity has a positive impact uh, across the board. Yeah. In a way that like that seems too good to be true but is actually real. That is nice. Yeah, to to do ni- a nice thing for a family member or a friend who is being supportive of you. That's that makes then that comes back. Not that that's the point, but that comes back on on you feeling good about yourself too. Absolutely. Be a good person, you know, like help <laughs> help people out, be there for people, yeah. volunteer, like just do good things and good deeds and mitzvahs and yeah. put out a good energy and help people and how can you not love that person? Yeah. That's true. That and is like, tangible. That's the stuff that matters, not like oh my God, you got an A on that paper or the Mm -hmm. coolest girl in school likes you. Yeah. I don't even know what that means. What is cool? What is cool? Couldn't tell you. I have no idea anymore. All that matters is that you have good people in your life. The quantity of those people doesn't matter. Yeah. It's interesting that you can say, oh, I love all these. I have great family, great friends. But like you can't say that you yourself are great. Right. Why would these great people hang out with someone who wasn't great? Exactly. You know, sort of like, sort of like play devil's advocate to your own self-hatred. Yeah. Why would these cool people hang out with 
like someone who sucked. Exactly. I don't know. I mean, I can in my mind go, because I've tricked them all. But that's like, again, the mental illness witch mm-hmm. uh, in my mind. Right. So that mean voice, that's not you. It's not you. And you tell her, go away. You say, I cast you out, witch. Witch. Well, I hope that helped you, Dora. <laughs> if you want to submit your international questions, send it to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. And next up, we've got a juicy interview with our highly esteemed guest, Shiva Rashi. Who I can't wait. Just between us. Hey! Just between us. Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, controversial segment known to all of podcasting, Top Questions. And this week, our guest is Shiva Rajai. Why don't you introduce yourself? Hey, thanks for having me. Of course. Who are you? What do you do? Tell our audience. I am a so I'm a psychotherapist, and I'm the founder and director of the Center for Anxiety and OCD. So OCD, um, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to say um, I'm a huge fan of yours, which is a weird thing to say to a therapist who doesn't treat me. But um, you are very public in in sort of your advocacy. You also have like a really awesome Instagram that I find super helpful and lovely, where you kind of like you post just like. I don't how would you describe your Instagram? So the Instagram was something that, you know, it's interesting because now it's sort of like the age of like psychotherapists on Instagram, which is this this really interesting kind of new phenomenon where people are getting information out there. But it just started off as a way where I could kind of um, like share, you know, it's like tips, it's advice, it's it's like a place for advocacy, it's a place for community. Um, and uh, it it just it just has brought sort of like me closer to the OCD community, but I feel like the OCD community closer to one another. It's been really cool. So it's, um, I think it's described on there as like daily therapy bites. Is I actually- think, yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> um, and they're free. What, <laughs> what do you love about it, Allison? I just, um, to me, it's, it's like helpful stuff where I'm like, oh, yes, I relate to this or, oh, that is helpful to think that. It's just like mindfulness and also like pointing out things that you're like, oh, right, that is why I'm acting this way or that is connected to this. And, you know, it's a, it's that thing that everyone talks about, which is just like relatability. So yeah. you're just seeing your own experience like reflected back at you. Yeah. Which is really helpful, along with like advice on how to how to deal with that experience. From a professional. From a professional. What made you want to focus on OCD and anxiety? Personal experience, definitely. Mm. Personal experience and this sort of like startling lack of information around OCD. Lots of people talk a lot about anxiety, but people a lot of times sort of get OCD either wrong or they have this like limited understanding of like OCD is hand washing. You know, OCD is when you have to wash your hands 40 times. And mm-hmm. it's like, that's, yeah, that that's one way that it happens. But there's like so many other iterations of OCD that people have no idea you know, qualifies as the as sort of the diagnosis. So it all kind of started out with my own um, my own OCD, which sort of like reared its head on me when I went to college, uh, which is like pretty typical actually, because it's sort of like a stressful time and you're mm-hmm. transitioning to being you know usually like a small fish in a huge pond. And so it sort of just like took me by surprise. It was really intense for me the first few years of college, trying to figure out like, am I going crazy? What is this? Because um, it's kind of weird to have you know something kind of talking at you really. In, in your brain, which is sort of what OCD feels like sometimes. And what, may I ask, like, how does it present itself for you? Yeah. So when I was in uh, when I was in college, I had what we sort of now what we'd 
call in the OCD, in the OCD community as HOCD. So, so basically kind of questioning my sexuality. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, am I into men? Am I into women? Sort of like, how do I, how would I know? You mm-hmm. know, if you find someone of the same sex attractive, like, what does that mean? And it's sort of um, gone from that. It, it did a bit about hypochondria, which is fear of um, sort of like contaminating uh, yourself or getting an illness or dying of something that you didn't catch early enough. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of gone around. It's, it's bounced around to a lot of different themes. Um, relationship-based anxiety, which is sort of where it's sat and sort of like what's become a little bit like my my – it's like a subspecialty. Mm-hmm. But I, I remember I learned about relationship OCD only a couple years ago, and it made so much sense to me um, because it's basically – Every moment of every day, you're wondering if you're in the right relationship. And it's like, and so for me, it's presented two ways. One where it's like, my partner doesn't love me enough. I'm not good enough for my partner. Is my partner ever going to commit to me? And then the other way is like, is this partner good enough for me? What this is what's wrong with them? I wish they were like this. Am I settling? And then just like all day long, every day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you've you've settled on one. And then that is the repeating thought about that person? Or it switches? Yeah, no, like, I, so it's always a dynamic. Un- until my my current relationship, I've never been in a relationship where the feelings were mutual. Mm-hmm. Like the, so I was always, I liked them more. And then it was the fears that I wasn't good enough. Or they liked me more. And then it was my fears that they weren't good enough for me. Yeah. Okay. And so is that... That's probably what happens Absolutely. to a lot of people experiencing Absolutely. it. I think I see – I tend to see more like in practice. I see more people who are in relationships. And usually it's so interesting. It gets triggered when you're sort of in like an available relationship. Mm-hmm. So if you're sort of like chasing after somebody who maybe isn't isn't emotionally available, like doesn't – you know, isn't reciprocating the emotions, we sort of talk about that as like that's kind of safe actually because uh, there's no risk of being like you're not really going to have to be vulnerable because the other person isn't really uh, like playing the game with mm-hmm. you. So it's so interesting because clients will come to me and be like, why did my ROCD creep up in this particular relationship? And I always ask, I'm like, is it is it sort of a weird term, but I'm like, is it viable? You know, I sound really like Yeah. Is it a relationship creepy, where you might actually have to be vulnerable with someone? Yeah. And then they can't handle it. Because that triggers our stuff. Mm-hmm. That triggers I don't know our if stuff. Huh. I'm trying that's to think of what my yours own is. That's not what yours is. I think that I knew that these people were not right for me, but I was so desperate to be in a relationship. And then that fear of, but then my brain was like, no, no, no. And then like constant mm-hmm. assessment and worry. Like, Because you want the viability. Right. I wanted the viability, which is very different than my other friend who who suffers from it big time. Mm-hmm. Like she's very afraid of the intimacy and the commitment and all of that. Yeah. And I, I totally get the idea of like being so into the chase or being so into the, I don't have OCD, but like being so into like, if I can just obsess about the chase, then I never have to actually like sit down and be like, oh, no, now I have a, a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend or whatever. Now I have a partner that I – now what do I do with that once I've caught it, basically? Yeah. It's uh, – when you know, once once you caught it, like, that's sort of where the work begins. Mm-hmm. Because until you're in that place with a person, it's a lot of projection of your own, like, fantasy of what it's going to be mm-hmm. like or – And you, you know, can talk to your friends and you can, like, have this whole back and forth that's so, like, uh, fun and and – eats up a lot of your time where you might otherwise be thinking about how to better yourself. 
<laughs> totally, totally. Yeah. And it's a comfortable place for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that's not to say like every relationship that has that dynamic is necessarily anxiety-based, but uh, but definitely that's what I see a lot of. And and I see a lot of sort of both, we call that partner-focused and sort of self-focused ROCD. Mm. So sometimes it's on the self, like, um, am I good enough? Right. And, and then frequently, I would say more often it's on like, are they good enough for me? Right. Which is sort of like this, this like metaphor for, you know, am I going to be okay? Yeah. Ooh, it's really intense. Just asking over and over again, is this good? Is this good? Is this good? Right. It's, am I making a mistake? Am I making a mistake? Am I making a mistake? Yeah. Um, okay. So I have a random question. Sure. Uh, that I was going to ask my therapist, but you're here. So are these intrusive thoughts that all of the time I think about who I'd be most willing to let die of the people I love the most? Does that, it, like, I feel like I have to rank who I would be okay with dying the, out of, like, my closest loved ones. Whoa! <laughs> do you not do that? No! <laughs> I think of that all the time. Why would you have to be the person deciding who dies? No, like, I'm like, okay, so if my if, what would be better if, if my mom died or my dad died or Jake died? Like, or my sister, like, what... Who, who, what would affect me the most? Like, tangibly, like, what could I survive? What couldn't I survive? Like, and I think about that all the time. I wonder if that's protecting yourself because you're like, if I, if I'm able to, if I'm able to anticipate and figure out how I would feel about it, then when it happens, I won't be so devastated. For somebody without damn therapist, (laughs) she's pointing at me because I'm right. Gabby, for someone without anxiety or without OCD, that was pretty spot on. I have anxiety. anxiety. I have anxiety. But anxiety for me, and the reason I'm able to clock this is because I watch nonstop horror movies, murder, uh, just like true crime podcasts, like everything I watch is like the husband killed the wife, like all of it. And I think, like, it's because, like, I fall asleep being like, okay, yeah, he did the murder. Um, So, like, I think that, and to me, it's the reason I am so into all that stuff is because I need to know what the worst thing that could happen is so that if I am ever kidnapped or murdered, I can just go, saw this coming. So it's it's like that, but um, but for my own death and not for relationships. <laughs> so is that are those intrusive thoughts? Okay, so I'm gonna ask a, I'm gonna ask like this key question before. Like, I feel like the answer is for that. It sounds like yes, but one of the things you, you want to ask, like if you're if you're like in your brain and you're like, is this intrusive? Would this be considered an obsession? You have to ask the question: Is it? Uh, is it? Do I find it distressing? Because if you yeah. just enjoy imagining, I don't enjoy it. <laughs> oh my enjoy. god, I don't enjoy. It. It's but like, if it's soothing I to feel, you, no, it's not soothing. It feels like something I have to think about. So when I hear that from a client, like it feels like something I have to think about. It's obligatory. It's need based. That's usually kind of obsessional. Like that yeah. usually feels like, and kind of exactly what you're saying, Gabby. It's like most likely you're trying to prepare yourself mm-hmm. for some fictional reality in which someone's going to like tell you to line them up. You know. Right? Or just, like, what can I – I think a lot of it is, like, okay – because my biggest fear is, is my parents dying and me being, like – I think because they've been my safety net my entire life, I'm, like, I can handle anything other than that. And so then there's, like, so much fear surrounding it where I'm, like, I feel stable until that happens. So it's, like, my – it's, you know, it's, like, my – But you're testing it's – It's, like, my nuclear warhead. It's, like, the thing where I'm, like, oh, no, nothing I can do will prepare me for that. The more you actually, like, imagine that scenario, the more you're telling your brain, hey, I can't handle this. Mm-hmm. Because if you prepare, like, preparation is this, like, I can't handle it thing, right? Mm. Like, I mean, not when you do it compulsively, obviously. Like, you want to prepare for a test. But if you're, like, over-preparing for anything, you're amping up how intense it will be for you. Right. So 
that's where it becomes kind of compulsive is it's like if you keep imagining that and kind of preparing yourself, you're actually telling your brain like there's – I can't handle this. Right. Oh. That's Yeah, that's what it feels like. Oh. So exact opposite of what you said, Gabby. Uh, that's – but this is what I <laughs> – so I'm to be doing, fair, you have no formal training. No, no, OCD. I have no formal training in OCD. But for my anxiety, it works the way that I said, which is like, let me tr- test a little bit of pain. Okay, I could take more than that. Okay, I could take more than that. Which is almost like a, a badge of honor sometimes to be like, how how much could I handle? The most? Yeah, let's fucking amp it up to 11. And I think the difference is, is like with the, like what we call like neurotypical, right? Like neurotypical like brains, mm-hmm. they sort of would do something like that. Like there might be some testing like, oh, that's scary to me. Let me sort of like test it out. And then mm-hmm. they're really like, oh, we're cool. We're cool. And it would turn off the threat signal, mm-hmm. right? Like you would test it a few times and your brain's like, ah, well, we don't know. We're like, we, maybe we'd handle that. We're cool. Like we know yeah. we're straight. We know we're whatever. Like mm-hmm. we know we're not a pedophile, right? Mm-hmm. And your brain's kind of like, we're cool. And it turns off the threat distress signal. But with, with obsessive compulsive disorder, it's like that never gets clicked off. Off. So no matter how much sort of like reassurance you give yourself, like, you know, whatever that looks like, you're sort of like, I could handle this or, you know, I've got enough fullness in my life to where if my parents were to, to pass away one day, like I can handle it. Just thinking about it and reviewing it tells your brain like, uh, you know, this is a problem. This is a problem. This right. Is a problem. So it's really tough because people with obsessive compulsive disorder have to learn to do super like counterintuitive things. Mm-hmm. Like let the fear of your parents dying just be there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's exposure therapy. Which- well, there's – it's interesting because it's stuff that you can't like you can't like you would normally be like, okay, well that's not gonna happen, but like that would happen. Or like it's like when you're Shut up. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> if you're an alcoholic, you can be like, okay, I won't drink alcohol, I won't go to a bar. But if you're like a gambling addict, you do have to use money. Or if you're uh, someone who struggles with eating disorder, you do have to eat food. So like it is kind of this thing with like anxiety and OCD where you're like you know, you're dealing with stuff in in the world that could happen in reality. Like hypochondria, it's like it's like someone being like, oh my God, I have a cut on my leg. I have I must have cancer. I'm gonna die. But like sometimes you do have cancer, you know? So how do you deal with like it, it being like, look, obviously like a killer clown is probably not gonna come out of your closet, but you might you might have cancer. You know what I mean? How do you deal with stuff that like does exist in reality? Totally, totally. So that's one of the differences between Sometimes that's the difference between like anxiety versus OCD is like in an anxiety, there's a little bit more rationality to the fears. Mm-hmm. In OCD, it's like, yeah, like you could you could be a murderer, but like you've never murdered anyone. Mm-hmm. Like you actually like have no – you're very kind. Like you're a nurse. You know, like it's highly unlikely. Um, but, you know, what's really interesting is is people come into my office and they're like, okay, I need you to tell me I'm not a murderer. Like I really need you to tell me that. Like take away that doubt. And I'm like, that's not my job. Yeah. Like I – why would I do that for you? That mm-hmm. would be almost a disservice because life is filled with these sort of like unanswerable questions. Right. And so our goal with sort of like treatment with anxiety isn't like I'm going to I'm going to take away that 1% chance that you're a murderer or that like 1% chance that you're a pedophile, right? That what your brain is telling you. I'm going to help you tolerate that and be rational around that. Mm-hmm. Um cuz life is is actually like shit happens. Yeah. You know? There's this thing it was I a long time ago I was talking to a friend of mine um with an ex-boyfriend of mine who actually is a very good person. And me and this other friend who both have depression we were saying how like we have these bad thoughts and like we're bad because we have these bad thoughts and the ex-boyfriend was like no you're good because you have the thoughts and you don't do it like you have the you have the thoughts and you don't and you don't go through with it or you don't do it or you don't whatever like he was like saying that the measure of actually being a good person is is what you actually do in the world love that so like the the with the anxiety or with the obsessive thoughts it's like 
maybe you're like, I, but I want, but I think about being a murderer. And it's like, yeah, but you're not doing murders. So Absolutely. You're not doing murders. You're not doing murders. And you've never done murders. Yeah. You know? So historically, therapists are very closed about their own lives and their own experiences. But you are open in your treatment that you have OCD, that you've dealt with that. How, how did you come about going about it that way and being open? It's such an isolating condition. It affects 2.5 to 3% of the population. So it feels – I think it feels isolating for a lot of reasons. One is people don't talk about it. It's really scary. Like a lot of the thoughts are really scary. Mm-hmm. Um mental health stigma in general. And so I think part of – it's part of my style as a therapist is like I'm just a bit open. Like I don't like to sort of go into session and like button everything up. And so in session, I'm pretty conversational. Like mm-hmm. I sound like this in session mm-hmm. for the most part. But then I sort of just realized that we could use more advocacy and more people sort of opening up and showing that this is a condition that affects a lot of people and especially the sort of like kind that I've struggled with, which we call pure obsessional OCD, which is a little bit of a misnomer. All it means is that you're Compulsions are mostly happening in your brain. So you're sort of like ruminating all day long. But you wouldn't see me wash my hands compulsively or anything. Oh, interesting. It's and really does it hard change to see. what you're like year to year is what you're thinking about compulsively change, or has it always been sort of the same stuff? So it tends to remain like thematically pretty similar mm-hmm. because what people obsess about, like why I might have um, a relationship-based obsession versus like Gabby could have like a murderer obsession, mm-hmm. yeah, my murderer, is is based off of our values. Oh, interesting. So the reason why we value certain things is – the reason why we obsess about certain things is because that's where our threat response is the highest. Hmm. Like for some people to be a immoral person, that is the ultimate, you know – yeah. catastrophe. So their brain is very sensitive to, well, could we be doing that? Well, could we be doing that? Yeah. So yeah, I mean, to sort of like answer it, I just felt like, it just felt organic to me to do that. Like, I didn't feel like I wanted to hide behind it. I'm not I'm not ashamed of it in mm-hmm. any way. Um, I sort of came in here telling you guys, like, I think the population and people with anxiety and OCD are amazing. So I'm sort of like proud to be one of them. And <laughs> have you had pushback from colleagues about it who are more traditional? No, I haven't. I think they sort of respect the fact that it's just my personal work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that people – there are many people I know who simply are not open about it or right. their style is different with, with their clients. And it's sort of what you guys – what you were all talking about. It's like that's their style as therapists. Yeah. And there's some people who would benefit more from having somebody who's going to be more in their sort of like, yeah, you know, I, I experienced that the other day. I had a rough yeah. day last week versus someone looking for a bit more of a blank slate. There's I'm, more people that are trying to – find a therapist who is similar to them or like like my therapist's a lesbian and like I wanted a gay therapist like that's kind of like it's it's becoming more of a thing instead of like the sort of blank slate idea of what therapy was maybe 10 years ago it's now like I want so, like you know I find more and more friends who are like I'm black I want a black therapist like I have OCD I want a therapist who has OCD like you want someone who's more similar to you that's more in vogue now I want an authority figure. You do? Yeah. Like for me, I think I would be very thrown if my therapist shared personal information. Yeah, different styles. Right. And like my current therapist who I've been seeing since I was 23, I know nothing about her life. Really? I think I know that she had a dog. Unclear if she still has the dog. And that's it. Wow. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Like she tells me nothing. Some people prefer men over women. Some people, you know, Mm -hmm. it totally. And that's why it's so great to have have options. And 
you know, and some people have, like I have, I've had in my, in my past an OCD spe- specialist, a sort of talk specialist. Mm-hmm. Um, I've bounced around to different styles and modalities because it's rare that you find one person who's going to have everything under their belt specialized. Right, right. What um are some tips that you would share with someone suffering on a daily basis with OCD? Do you have like go go to things that you think help, or is it all just so spe- specific to each case? No, I mean, there's definitely some there's definitely some go tos. Like they're pretty big picture and esoteric, but obsessive compulsive disorder is a lot about needing things to be a certain way and control and wanting to know. Like that's the core of it is is really wanting to know. Like I just need to know if that's, I'm with the right person. Or like so because because right now I'm, I'm like uh, I'm out pitching a book that hopefully gets sold and that you will be a part of. But um, <laughs> and. I literally in the shower today, I was like, okay, so I have no idea what's going on. And I'm sure that some people have rejected it already and that I'm, but I want to know how many people have rejected it and how many people haven't yet. And like, it was literally like, I was like, I I want like a breakdown of the numbers of who said no and who we're still waiting on. Whereas like that information doesn't mean anything. Yeah. All that matters is if someone says yes. Like One, I, right, like I, I, and I said to myself, I was like, Allison, don't interfere. Just like wait until you either get the answer that everyone passed or at least one person said yes. And I sat with that and I was like, I'm not going to interfere. I'm not. And then I sent the email. To your manager asking for those numbers? <laughs> to my agent, yeah. I was like, hey, just checking in. Any <laughs> updates? Because I could not handle not knowing. It's really tough. It's, it's really, really tough. tough. And especially, I mean, with something like a creative project like that, I'm, it's vulnerable, right? Mm-hmm. It's personal. It's vulnerable. Like, And I think that's why there's a lot of, you know, with social anxiety too, it's like, it's a judgment on me. It's a judgment on me. And people sort of take that to be a judgment on their worth. And so it's not hard to see why this matters a lot to you. Yeah. But um, it, I was unable to control myself in that situation. Yeah. And look, you postponed a little bit. Yeah, I so, postponed. So that's <laughs> I like a win. at least an hour. That's, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you know, that matters because then that sort of tells your your brain's going immediacy. It has to happen now. Yes. And you're sort of like, let me finish my shower and get ready and whatever, and then I'll send the email. Right. So pretty nice. If I was going to give sort of like a roundabout idea, it's like can you teach your brain that it it doesn't need to know everything and that, that tolerating uncertainty is sort of like this skill that I really think we – I mean, to get sort of big picture with it, I think we need this, like mm-hmm. heading into where we're going as like a society. Yeah. I really think we need to practice this more because information's really available. Information's really available. It's so easy to get on and get like an instant hit of whatever it is, like validation or an answer. Or, mm-hmm. you know, there's a million articles out there telling you what to look for in your partner or, you know, how to know if X, Y, and Z. And actually none of them are going to be able to give you the, the answer. Yeah. Right. You know, and the human condition is sort of like answerless. And mm-hmm. like, I just think we need to contend with that. Otherwise, we're going to be racing against ourselves. Pretty intense. Can I ask about the the sexuality thing? Because you were saying like with OCD, it's it, it, you need an answer. You need a, a like you need to know are you gay or are you straight? And that's fascinating because like if you are bisexual, like I am, you exist in in a gray area. You naturally exist in sort of some sort of middle ground. Or you're a person who goes, I am or I'm not. I don't care. Like I'll meet someone or I won't. Whatever. Um. And like and like a lot of people are becoming more and more like. Like, oh, I don't really have a label. I'm just kind of like, I, I, if I meet someone, I'll whatever. But I think, like, there is a thing maybe with with OCD of, like, well, we got to figure out, like, because you alluded to it a little bit of, like, we got to figure out which one we are. And, like, that's their – sometimes the answer is nothing or both or all. 
or, is that, or changing, right? Yeah. yeah. Is that the is that the anxiety? Is that what's happening? Of like, I yeah. need to know what I am, and yeah. then the answer is like, it might not be what it might not be something solvable. Absolutely, I, I think sexuality is like a great example of something that is like you're you know as we know it's all on a continuum. So mm-hmm. you're rarely like a hundred percent straight or a hundred percent gay. Mm-hmm. You know, people sort of fall in a continuum, and it changes, and you morph, and it depends on who you love. And so there's a lot of gray area. And part of the whole thing with OCD and anxiety is, can you accept that? Can you accept that? You know, you're going to wake up one day and be like, I'm so happy I married this person, mm-hmm. and like maybe the next day you wake up and you're like, oh, you're so annoying. Yeah, and what have I done? You know, like what about my ex? boyfriend. Yeah. You know, and that's and that's part of it is accepting the sort of fluidity of being a human being. Mm-hmm. Um but the the interesting thing behind uh sort of like gay obsessions or HOCD is that it's rarely about it's funny it's like usually about the idea that if they aren't able to lock their sexuality down there's not a guide for how to move forward. Like yeah. it feels very unnerving to move forward and to sort of be like well do I who do I like and mm-hmm. if I'm married to a guy is that fair to him if I'm like yeah. not sure? Yeah, but I think it's the, it's the uncomfortableness with the gray area. So even if you get to a point of like, oh, I'm bisexual, that's an answer. Mm-hmm. That's not a gray area. That's an answer. But it's like, what am, what am I? Who am I? How do I define myself in this world? Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like I, that's a big thing for me is I've gotten so much more comfortable with gray areas and like – I, I used to have an opinion about everything, and now sometimes I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, could go either way, or like, and that's like a huge change. Um, I, I'm always like, what is my OCD? What is me? Because so much of it is just kind of like personality, but then sometimes it's like, well, what is my personality? And it's like, what is clouding this? Is this why I'm behaving that way? Is that why? And then I'm like, okay, so now we're in my OCD. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the questioning of it to that extent. Oh, exactly. Can yeah. be- I keep questioning if I have OCD all the time. All the time. Like, I'm very afraid that as an OCD advocate, I don't have severe enough OCD to be talking about OCD. Or sometimes you'll like ask 45 times in a row, do I even have OCD? And I'll be like, I have some news for you. That's OCD. But I'm truly afraid that I don't have it anymore and that I'm misleading the world and that I'm a big liar. But if you ask me 15 times in a row if you actually have OCD. But I haven't done that in a long time. <laughs> you did it to your mom. Not recently. I think on the podcast episode with her. I don't. What do you do? You think I have? Oh my god! Oh my god! All that reassurance seeking. Yeah, that's Um, my big. I'm big on reassurance. But but that's really common. Like that's really, Mm -hmm. really common. I cannot tell you. I'd say sixty percent of people come in and they're sort of like, "But what if I don't have OCD?" And this is all some lie I'm saying to myself. Mm -hmm. You know? Oh boy! I know. So my my huge fear of lying and misleading. That's connected to it, right? Oh, absolutely. Hypermorality tends to be really wrapped up in, in yes. OCD. So people who really want to sort of like, you know, not offend and do things right. And and that sort of fits into that rigidity that like that the world can be like, what is right? Mm-hmm. What is good? You know, yeah. but that's very scary. Yeah. So people kind of, you know, especially people whose brain is very threat sensitive, that we, we run towards clean answers. So we want to say like, oh, you know, I'm good or like you're bad or this is okay and this is not okay. There's not always going to be a right or wrong, yes or no, black or white answer to problems. Absolutely. And even the question of do I have OCD? Like I don't answer I don't answer that. You know, I go, mm-hmm. hey, look, you're you're seeing me. Like I sort of have given you a diagnosis. Like I've done this for a long time. Um, but I can't tell you for certain. I could we could be sitting here lying to you. That's and- dri- would drive me insane. <laughs> I'm so uncomfortable with yeah. that response. 
I'm freaking out. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of like the, we use this term a lot, which is like good enough. Like, are you OCD enough in order to feel like? You oh could yeah. Be? And there you go. Have I worked enough? Yeah. Is yeah. It, yeah. As I did, I try. I, did I try enough? Do I love him enough? Mm-hmm. Do I consider myself straight enough or gay enough mm-hmm. in oh, order to? Man. I know. Oh, again. Gabby's it's not, anxious. It's not fun. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, boy. It's not like a party up here. It's so funny that I am – I feel like I am a person who is made of gray areas. Fully, like, I don't think there's any thing in my life that isn't, like, sort of gray gray area, you know? Like, and mm-hmm. and then you have to sort of deal with that. With with many, with a lot of mental illness, like whether it's depression or anxiety or anything, it just, it, it's it's packed with this emotional hit. Mm-hmm. And like, I think that's one of the things I can speak specifically to OCD that makes it so compelling. Yeah. It just takes a lot of like strength, I think, and like education for yourself to sort of look at that and be like, all right, so my brain's telling me I suck and my body feels like it sucks, but I need to sort of see all of this as distortion mm-hmm. and I need to act like I don't suck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with, with all the um, portrayals of OCD that are incorrect or the information about OCD that's incorrect, like, do you have people that come in and are sort of like, that's not a symptom of OCD? Like, how do you, you know what I mean? I feel like a lot of times you'll be like, oh, that's a symptom of OCD and people won't even know that that was a symptom of, or they won't even know that the OCD is something they could have. Like, I feel like there might be people listening who are like, oh, is that, is that me? Because they just think like, well, I don't Clorox everything, so I don't have OCD. Yeah, I think that's part of why there's I that seven to, to nine years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'm so sorry. <laughs> okay, here's what, here, the trippiest thing about that is like what we do when we ruminate is we're like Cloroxing in our brain. Mm. You know, like I always think about that. Like when, when you want to ask, for example, do I have OCD? Like, well, however many times. That's like, it's like, you're, you know, you're, you're hand washing up there. So mm-hmm. it's like this attempt to cleanse. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating. Um Yes, I think there's a ton of misinformation around it and just, you know, and that's part of, again, about the advocacy is so important. Um, and that contributes to that seven to nine years on average that it takes people to get the right kind of treatment. But uh, but yeah, so so it's sort of broken down into two main categories. And I think that's worth saying for anyone who's listening is that there's sort of the observable compulsive behavior. Like I call it Hollywood OCD, right. which is totally painful and legitimate and valid and treatable, all the things, which is sort of like you're checking, you're door checking, you're hand washing. And people tend to know that more. You know, you could see someone hand washing excessively and be like, mm, that might be OCD. Right. Whereas there's this whole other world, and that's, to be honest, about 70% of what I see, which we call pure O. And that's these sort of like deep existential concerns for safety. Um, And it's like, again, the sort of themes are like human taboos, like, you know, um, not knowing their sexuality with 100% certainty, not knowing if you're in love with the right person, like not knowing if you're a good person. What if you're sinning against God? Like it's these big sort of existential threats that get stuck over and then you ruminate on them over and over and over and over and Mm -hmm. over. It's pretty invisible. Yeah. It's pretty invisible and it can still be super debilitating. Yeah. And people wouldn't know probably to get to to get checked if they have OCD or they're not treating it correctly because they've never heard that that's part of OCD. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's a hard thing to portray. Again, if you're looking at like movie depictions of it, like that's a difficult thing to portray. There's also a lot of like what gets difficult with some of them is if you go to a therapist or you go to a friend and you go, hey, you know, I'm kind of – I feel like I'm doubting my relationship, but I really like my relationship. But this is kind of coming at me like, you know, 100 times a day. They're going to be like, well, you're probably in the wrong relationship. Oh, they'll be like, just break up. 
and then it happens again, and then it happens again. Right. Or with with sexuality. You know, you go to a therapist and you're like, I'm questioning my sexuality, but in this way that feels really intense, so many clinicians will sort of go in there like, okay, let's talk about that. Well, let's talk about like, you know, your, your history, your past. And they'll really start validating the mm-hmm. OCD, mm. which is – T- uh, unfortunately, it's totally the wrong approach. Or yeah, like I have, you just have to ignore what you're thinking. So much of treatment is just shut up. <laughs> yep. It's yep. also so funny that like, that like, am I a murderer or a pedophile or uh, a bad person is also paired with am I gay? Which is like so societal, But it's huh? not, it's like, not, I'm, it's bad to be gay. It's what am I? It's wanting to figure out who you are. And it's It's loss of control. It's kind of loss of control. Like a lot of times, even with the pedophile fear or the murderer fear, it's this fear that I'm going to, I'm going to black out and molest a kid. And I'm going to have like, I'm going to come to and realize that like I've, I've screwed my life up. Got it. And so there's this sort of, imagine almost like anything that could like pull the rug out from under you. Where you don't know what you are. You You don't know what, yourself. And that's, you know, that's a pretty unsettling reality to not know you know, where you stand or what you are or if you're a good person. Granted, I don't think any of us really know that. I know, but but it's so funny to lump, like, what if I'm gay in with, like, am I a good person? I agree. Which, like, I think is is kind of a societal thing. I think I'm going to guess it's a lot of men who are very worried about being gay. It's a lot of young men. It's a lot of men in their early 20s. Which is also, like, you are or you aren't, man. Like, (laughs) you know? Like, it's that – but it's also, like, the obsessive – like, oh, my God, what if I'm gay? What if I'm gay? What if I'm gay? Which, like, I don't know if it's helpful to be like, yeah, what if you are? Oh, that's exactly helpful. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and you yeah, get man, to the what point. if you it's are. Not yeah. the, it's not, it's not the, the fear world. of being yeah. gay, is it? It's no. just the fear of not knowing if exactly. you're gay. Exactly. It's, it's, so it's different rarely than what you're homophobia. implying. It's rarely No, I don't think it's homophobia. Yeah. I think it's like, yeah, it's like not knowing. I guess not knowing yourself is right. the problem. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of times people have an idea of they see their future and they're like, you know, I like women. I'm going to mm-hmm. marry a woman. I'm going to have this life with a woman. And yeah. then to have their brain come in and be like, but are you? You know? But yeah. are you? That's very, um, that's very destabilizing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So it's just doing it to fuck with you? The brain? Your brain's doing it to fuck with you? That's sort of like what it feels like. Almost like pranking you? That's totally what it feels like. It's actually more of an overprotective parent. Like that the vibe is more like a parent who's kind of like, are you going to be okay? Are you sure you're going to be okay? But are you going to be okay? Like it wants to protect you, but it's like malfunctioning and inspiring. Do you think I'm so obsessed with getting married because there's a stability to that? And that's like – Possibly. Oh, that that's like, oh, so that part of my life will be done. Yeah. And or, like, or you think it's going to somehow like save, save you, you from yeah. the unknown. Exactly. Or like, yeah. It's the unknown that's always freaked me out. So I think I've always like seen that as like, oh, if I can get to there, then that unknown of my, that huge part of my life, that huge unknown is taken care of. Then you're done. Then you're married. This is your husband. And everything is set up. Everything is set up. Yeah. yeah. Kind of a name, but like then you get into it and you're like, oh, marriage is actually quite complicated. Oh, totally. And yeah. Yeah. There's a whole nother thing I have to figure out. And yeah, absolutely. No, marriage seems pretty easy. Um, <laughs> Play a game show? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Did you like that transition? Play a game show. Um, so if you've listened to the pod, which it sounds like you have, this is America's favorite game show, Hypotheticals. Um, our first game, everyone's favorite, is Would You Stay With This Cheater? Are we oh, ready? We're, re- we're ready. While taking hostage by ransomers, your significant other of four months falls in intense love with a fellow captive, but their new lover is killed during a standoff with police. Your significant other is freed, however, and wants to return to business as usual. Wow. Would you stay with this cheater? Um, 
Wow. How long were they held captive for? Uh, they were held captive for uh, a month. And it was Stockholm Syndrome love? Stockholm Syndrome is often towards your captor. Captor, though. This was a fellow captive. So this is what what uh, trauma bonding, right? I'm not actually familiar with trauma bonding, but that sounds like a I've thing. been told that in dating, sometimes what I do by my therapist is trauma bond with people. So, like, I'll meet someone and then I'll the, – the thing that will bring us close is – like, oh, you had a terrible childhood? Me too. Or like, oh, you had a terrible breakup? Me too. Or like that. And that'll be like the focus of the beginning of the relationship is the uh, is the trauma, that the makes, shared that trauma. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. So I feel like this is is what my therapist calls trauma bonding. And so that means you forgive them? Uh, I don't think it was real. So I'm going to say oh, I forgive them. Interesting. What's your answer? Wow. That's an interesting breakdown, Gabby. Thank you. I, I That's the right answer. Is it? Kind of, yeah. Is, I, it, is there a right answer? Wait, yeah, wait, sometimes. there's a right answer? Well, okay. I wait, think, hold on. There's I think, never been a right answer. I think objectively, I would view the relationship as like, oh, this is unforeseen circumstances. These are like extreme circumstances. Yeah. But in the reality of this specific world, their lover actually faked their own death because they were part of the of the hostage takers. And now they come back to claim your your significant other. Hey, I have a question. Are you a screenwriter? Yes, I am. <laughs> and <laughs> because, I've also watched Jane the Virgin all five seasons. <laughs> is this part of Jane the Virgin? There's a lot of kidnapping. <laughs> I should never watch that show then. But wait, so so okay, so they actually were alive. So then they leave you? Your partner leaves you? Um, your partner uh, is it doesn't know what to do. And so you have to decide what your partner does. What do you decide? Your partner uh, leaves and, and is with the other person and you're sad. But then you fall in love with the lead hostage negotiator. That's the hostage negotiator is married. Don't be ridiculous. Well, you, then it's a torrid <laughs> affair with the hostage negotiator. And the movie is called Take My Heart Hostage. Wow. That's a little on the nose. Yeah. It's a Lifetime movie, so it has one of those names. Got it, got it. Yeah. Take, Taken 5? Taken 5. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Taken My Heart 5. Our final game. Are they an alien or just rude? While taking money out of an ATM, a large stranger stands right behind you. When you ask if they can give you some space, they reply, Don't worry, I am very trustworthy and independently wealthy. <laughs> you get your money and leave without further incident. Is this person an alien or just rude? So what are they dressed like, the person? Uh, suit and trench coat. Suit and trench coat. Yeah, and they're very tall. Whoa. But they don't say how they're independently wealthy? No. Do people ever? Are they <laughs> Are they wearing like, like is it, it's like a nice suit or it's like a, uh, like a suit with like money on it and like a monocle and they're like clearly doing some sort of Monopoly Man thing? Very, very nice custom suit. Wow. Oh. Why do they need to be so close to you? Uh, they never tell you, but um, they they think they're protecting you. And you've never seen this person before? No, and you never see them again. And you never <laughs> see them again. <laughs> um, wow. Uh, I, I'm going to say that they are an alien, and they've just watched, like, billions or like succession or something and they're like like a prestige hbo show and they're like this is how wealthy people behave okay right it's like a men in black moment you know where they yeah. like they become they don the human attributes and they like think they're being water, human and salt sugar water it's that moment vincent d'onofrio's finest role well hate to break it to you it was a guardian angel 
What? Yes. You can't. So there's a middle ground between rude person and alien and it's angel? Yeah. My OCD is getting better. Angels exist (laughs) now? I'm living in the gray area of hypothetical. So I didn't realize angel was a, I have to write down, angel is an option. Yeah. Guardian angel. Otherwise, he would have been mugged. Oh, and he was your guardian angel. Yes. And I, I, what did you think? Someone else's guardian angel? Yeah, who just like happened to be there getting <laughs> some money out of the ATM and then was like, I know, as I I am an angel, so I guess I got to deal with this person. Because why would you never see them again? Nothing bad ever happens to you ever again. Correct. Wow. In this scenario, you're cis, white, straight male. <laughs> and so everything in your life goes perfectly. Yes. Damn. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. <laughs> Where can everyone find your lovely Instagram? You guys can find me at the shrink wrap. And uh, yeah, find me at the shrink wrap. Visit me, caocd.com. Come to Irvine, California. Get treated. C- get treated. Come <laughs> in my offices. Say hello to me and my amazing staff. Um, yeah, just uh, just come on down, you know? The shrink Leave wrap a- is so clever. Thank you. It's very clever. Thank you. I like it too. It's with a W. In case that wasn't clear. Leave us with one final tip. (sighs) One final tip. Um, Anxiety is oftentimes a liar. Uh, If it's something that you don't think is going to bother you in, in, you know, the next week, five weeks, five years, see if you can let it go now. Oh, I love that. Snaps. Thank you so much. Stick around after the break because we'll be getting really into conspiracy theories. Oh, I'm so glad we talked about anxiety right before we decide that Pizzagate was real. That one's not. back to just between us it's time for topics x x x x x x x x x i have very mixed feelings about conspiracy theories in this age of fake news because all of the republican ones are bad so here's the, so okay <laughs> did you see that video where it's bill Hader impersonating um um seth rogan and tom cruise no and they've Okay, so it's this video, right? And it's him, like, on a late-night talk show. And he does their voices really, really believably because he's good at his job. And then Deepfake, which is this, like, they can make – they can um, do CGI to, like, turn people into other people. They – or, like, to make fake videos or whatever. Mm -hmm. They made a video where they actually turned Bill Hader into Tom Cruise into Seth Rogen in the video. And it looks so real. And because he's so good at the voice, it seems like it's actually Seth Rogen being interviewed or it's actually Tom Cruise being interviewed. So then people were freaking out about it because they were like, we'll literally be able to like post a video of Obama saying things or of of different leaders in different countries saying things. And you will it will be really hard to tell if it's real or not. Oh, absolutely. And like that's it's not, dangerous again, technology. That's not a conspiracy theory. That's happening. No, but it's going to start conspiracy theories. Yes. I, I have a hard time with conspiracy theory as a term because it and it implies that it's like illogical or that there's something fanatical about it or yeah. like and or that it's untrue. Whereas I think in this time, we have to be open to the fact that fucking crazy things are happening. And like and that the government <sighs> Mm-hmm. And is capable of a lot of crazy stuff that other governments are. Yeah, I know, they but I, but I think that there's this this idea that like if you say, like if like let's look at what's happening in Russia, right? Basically, like a mini Chernobyl, mm-hmm. where like an- they have again leaked 
nuclear, they've had a nuclear reaction. Right. People have died. They're lying about how severe it is. Yeah. Like, they're covering stuff up, you know? And, like, honestly, if I told you that, like, without the New York Times reporting on it, you would be like, oh, that's a conspiracy theory. No, as of right now in 2019, I'd be like, absolutely, 100% that's <laughs> happening. Which is, like, this is the problem is, like, it, you can't believe i mean what do i don't I know no what, to what to believe i have no idea what to believe and i think for the first time i mean i've always leaned towards believing things that like that, that people are capable of crazy things mm-hmm. but i i'm at a place now where like i would believe almost anything but like that's... with the whole jeffrey epstein <sighs> like yeah. i i i almost think it is more likely that someone helped him die than him doing it on his own yeah so here's the thing is that this is what they want like, Who's they? Everybody. This is okay. what this is what they they wanted everyone to be so unable to tell what's true that like I think this is by design. That's I don't what think dictators this is a flaw. Do. They make yeah. it so that you can't figure out what's real right. and what's not real. So I don't think this is a bug. I think this is a feature. Um and like I think this is what what they want and so then it's really it's hard. It's impossible. Like certain things you can go, "Oh my god, well of course that's not true." But I, then you can kind of understand why people on, let's say, the right do buy that it's true. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, crisis actors is fucking so insulting, so, uh, so like, just heartless to think that that's true. That, but and then to it's explain, like, crisis actors are uh, a lot of right-wing conspiracy theorists think that school shootings didn't actually happen and that the like the Parkland kids are crisis actors who are yeah, who are hired pre- to, pretending that they went through this horrible experience. Yeah, or that the people that died are pretending that they're dead. dead. And that and that and they think that for a lot of things. They think there's not just for school shootings, but they're crisis actors for like any disaster or whatever that doesn't, you know, meet their standards of of like uh, the guns are good and climate change isn't real and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um like it could be even that like oh the tsunami didn't really happen because climate change isn't real and the and the people in the tsunami are crisis actors whatever like that is that is based in such like um cruelty like if i met someone who was like i mean i would not be friends with them but if i met someone who was like oh the parkland kids are crisis actors how would you even begin other than me knowing in my gut that that's fucked up how would i even begin to explain to this person that they're wrong well i think that the big problem now with conspiracy theories is that what comes first is people's set of beliefs. Absolutely. And then they, they already find, believe it. And then they find the theories and the conspiracies that fit that belief. Absolutely, yes. And and that there's enough people and there's enough, like, internet resources that they can then go, oh, see, I was right. Mm-hmm. Like, you can prove anything prove on the anything. internet. anything. But I also think that there is a danger of saying that people who believe far-fetched things are always wrong. Because a lot of times, these Mm -hmm. far-fetched things are real. I know. Like, you know, like, not to keep harping on it, but something happened in Roswell, New Mexico. Right, Like, again, I'm not saying it was an alien, but there was a cover-up. Yeah. And, like, I I also think that, like, the CIA is more than capable of assassinating our own presidents. Like, Mm -hmm. I, I just think that, like, you, it, it's hard because you have to get like speaking of a gray area, right? Like you have to somehow wade through all of this various bullshit <sighs> and and also make it so that it's not what you want to be true is what you're seeing. You also have to uh, um, deal in the consequences of what you're saying. Like you can't just be like this is fun. Like this is oh these are this is like n- there's no. Um, victims in this this is like a fun conspiracy theory whatever like 
with the crisis actors things, like, that is a conspiracy theory that actively hurts people. Mm-hmm. Or, like, you know, believing in aliens is, like, okay. But but saying, like, well, this this uh, thing in Chernobyl isn't real or climate change isn't real or, like, things that actually will kill people, that's, I think, different. I think you, you separate that out in conspiracy theory-wise from being, like, the conspiracy theory that, you know, that Roswell has aliens. You know? Like, ones that hurt people versus ones that don't. Right. But again, that's coming from, like, what's your point of view? What is your belief of how the world works? Yeah. And, like, why are you following this specific theory? Like, what is your motive? Yeah. I'm not even sure what constitutes a conspiracy theory anymore. I'm sure the government has all of our DNA, all of our faces, all of our – is, like, knows everything. Like, I think all of our texts. Like, I just am, like – do you know what I mean? Like, I'm – I fully am like, there's nothing that, like, people that are like conspiracy theorists that are like, oh, I just, I'm gonna cover my camera on my computer or I'm gonna, whatever. I'm, in my mind, I'm like, too late. <laughs> Do you know, like, this, this idea that we could counteract any of the stuff that information wise that has already been gathered about us? I, I, what did I do? Oh, I made an, I called and made an appointment at a hair salon. And then two seconds later, I had an Instagram ad for that hair salon. Like, there's no, you're done. You're cooked. There's finished. The goose is the goose is cooked. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like I, I, I believe that all of that stuff is. I don't know what the end game for it is. So like you believe that like you have an FBI agent who's like constantly watching you. Not a specific guy, but I definitely think that there's like every now and then they check in on you. No. <laughs> <laughs> I think that everyone's information like you have yeah. you can you there's nothing that you ha- can hide from from the right. government or companies that want to use your information to sell like we are products we are human products i don't think that they yet have everyone's dna because i think they do i i think that they're very close to being able to figure out everybody's dna i think they want everyone's dna and they're gonna get it soon but i think that like a lot i think that a lot more stuff a lot more unsolved murders would have been solved if they had everybody's but then it's like, wh- whose murders do they actually want to solve? All of them. Do they? White people's. There you go. <laughs> so it's like, I, I, I'm, right, because it's hard to be like, what, what is a conspiracy theory? Because that is just, I think. I think a conspiracy, like, true? okay, let me look Right? It like, what, like, uh, okay, obviously aliens are real. Are ghosts a conspiracy theory? No, but aliens are because aliens have to do with like the government doing something versus like ghosts are just like supernatural. So here it is. A what? conspiracy theory is an explanation of an event or situation that invokes a conspiracy by sinister and powerful actors. Got it. Often political and motivation when other explanations are more probable. Okay, so I definitely think the government killed RFK, JFK, Martin Luther King. Marilyn Monroe. Marilyn Monroe. I don't know about Marilyn Monroe. Oh, really? I'm not sure. I love her. I'm a huge fan of hers. I think sometimes um I think sometimes that's used to downplay the sadness and and depression of her life. Like I think people don't I think she's seen as such an icon and a bombshell that people don't take into account that she was a human. So I don't love the conspiracy theory that she was killed by the government because I don't know that she was. I think it's more tragic than that. I think it was just But you know for sure they killed those other people. I know they for sure killed those other three. I mean there's How also- do you know for sure? I just do. Like a gut feeling or you've mm-hmm. done like extensive research? Um I mean, it just seems like they were they were shaking things up too much. I think I think now here's another thing. <sighs> There's all this stuff about like 
about like if our own government created if our own government disseminated AIDS, if our own government disseminated crack to like to like ca- keep, you know, certain communities to keep communities of color down or whatever. That stuff I I think that's that is do I think that's like p- plausible. Yeah, here's my thing is I, I think, think everything plausible. is plausible. Like I think that like there's either going to be evidence for or against it, but you could not pitch me any yeah. and I any idea where I would say, oh, that's too insane. But I think, but here's the thing is like you have to see who the victim is in the situation, right? So if it's like, if it's someone being like, I the they're coming for the gun lobby, which has bajillions of dollars and is mostly white dudes, and they're like, this, this, these crisis actors are coming for the gun lobby. It's like, okay, I don't buy that because you guys are the people in power. Versus like if it's like the government gave black people crack cocaine to like keep them, you know, poor, that's like, okay, who's the victim there? It's communities of color who are who are always victims. And like who the government, we have seen evidence, like is are like just actively hostile to. So that to me is like, okay, who's like, that's more likely to me because we're looking at who the actual victim is in the situation. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, that seems way more likely because those are people that are victimized versus like people who are like, it's a conspiracy against me. And I'm like, oh, it's a conspiracy against you, person who is succeeding. (laughs) You know, I'm very curious to see how open to Russia's um, involvement in this upcoming election people will be, because there has been so much hard evidence from credible sources saying that they are in- actively interfering and will continue to interfere. Of course! But I think that a lot of people are going to be like, oh, that's crazy. Wait, people people are doubting that Russia fucked with the election? You don't think that if, if Republicans win, they'll say Russia didn't fuck with the election? They'll say that, but that's that's just, that's not even a conspiracy theory. That's just lying. Well, I don't know. You Russia actually, we but know they did. But you know what I'm saying? Like that, that, I think that that's something that like, people will see as either being politically convenient to believe or not believe. Oh, my God. Right? If you're the party that they're helping. Ugh. Yeah. But this, I'm I'm so concerned because I don't, what is reality anymore? Exactly. And they're going to make videos. They could make a video of, of anyone saying anything. I know. And, well, the other issue with that is, one, you have anyone saying anything. And, two, you have plausible deniability. So, so someone could do something terrible and then go, this was that just was edited. Me. Like in a couple Ugh. of years, if, if that if that Hollywood access, what was it? Hollywood, if that tape of, of Trump mm-hmm. with Billy Bush had mm-hmm. come out a couple of years from now, instead of apologizing, he would have just said it wasn't me. They doctored what that do, tape. It's not real. What do we do? I don't know. What do we do? It's very bad. I, I What we do is we vote. <laughs> Is you vote and you yeah. try to take over Congress and you try to take over the House and the Senate and local government and then just pray that we can get. Okay, but I'm not talking about politically. I'm talking about like how how do we know what's true now? I have no idea. There, like I don't know. I think we have to support like um, journalists. Yes. You have to support like uh, credible journalists, but I'm not sure who that is anymore. These or- journalistic organizations have to realize that, like, we are so starved for the truth and we are so, like, feel gaslit because we're just, like, you're presenting things in a certain way that as if things are normal and things are not normal. Or you're presenting things in a certain way as if you're unbiased when it – when. Like, you can't be unbiased yes. about, like, anti-fascism being the same thing as fascism. Yeah. Like, you can't present, like, 
there's this pressure, I think, because of Trump's attack on the media to, to always, see both sides. To see both sides, and you like it's just not based in reality to report it as it's, as if they're equal sides. Exactly. So, and I remember in journalism school being taught that being objective was so important, and you had to be objective, and you had to be objective. But like at at, at this point, like in the media, you you're just by being objective, you're actually being subjective to. Um, pressure towards, towards racism, towards pressure because from racism is a is a thing. So it's, it's they, not they act yeah. like they act like it's not a, a thing. It's not on both sides. Yeah, like you can't be like xenophobia, racism, like all of that's real. So you yeah. can't like I think you could still be objective and report racism. That's what I mean. But they I they they haven't gotten the memo about that. Yeah. Do you think that uh, Putin uh, has is blackmailing Trump? Yes. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> Before we bring in Melissa, I just want to ask <laughs> one final question. Sorry we didn't get – I know we should have stayed on, like, fun conspiracy theories, and we didn't. Do you think we landed on the moon? Great question. I do think we landed on the moon. Me too. Come on in, Melissa. <laughs> so what do we think? I'm going to give it 10. Just 10 across the board. Wow. wow. Wait, what? Why? I just really like this episode. I didn't – before, like, working with you guys, I didn't know much about OCD, mm-hmm. and except for, like, the Hollywood version, like she was saying. And so, like, I feel like I learn more about it every time it's brought up, and I appreciate it, and it's something that I should know more about. So, Oh, that and makes the, me so happy. Yeah. And then the conspiracy theories. <laughs> What do you believe in? Okay, so I don't like <laughs> I don't like to talk about them because I think somebody will like come absolutely and yeah. take you. Yeah, yeah. But there's just two things that I believe. One, Justin Bieber is a lizard person. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and what's the second one? And that we do have like an agent assigned to us. Oh, yeah. Like they they're they big brother is real. They've been listening on our phones. Absolutely. They've been listening oh, yeah, on our computers. Sure. Mm-hmm. They're listening in my four Alexas I have in my one and tiny bedroom apartment. You have four, four Alexas? Yeah, I like do you even it. care about safety? I do care. They listen, so if something happens, they know what happens. <laughs> oh my god. What uh what did you learn, Gabby? A lot about OCD. Yeah. A lot about OCD. Uh yeah, that that um that it is cool for it's a therapist cool to have OCD. No, just that it's cool for a therapist to to have experience in the thing that she's treating. Mm-hmm. Um, which and also, uh, I didn't realize that how much of it was uncomfortability with defining yourself, yeah. not knowing who you are, and being really really freaked out by not knowing who you are. Yeah, I mean, I don't have I don't have too much of that, but I think that that's very all consuming for a lot of people. Well, yours is more relationship. Yeah. What did you learn, Allison? I got to look into this lizard people stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I just think, God, I just think Shiva is so interesting. Yeah, she's great. And like really, really, um, like really good at uh, parsing out the explanations of different mental illnesses and the ways that different things show up, which is probably going to be very, very helpful to people listening. So I'm glad we had her on. She's also beautiful. Oh, she's so pretty. She's yeah. so pretty. <laughs> you guys you can't, don't know, but yeah, she's gorgeous. You can't hear that through the podcast, but it took a lot in me not to be like, so how did that sexuality thing shake out for you? <laughs> <laughs> also, hey, rate the podcast. Oh, yeah. I say this. Other podcasts say this all the time, but like that really help us out. 
rate and subscribe. Rate and subscribe. We need it because it's coming up on whether or not they're going to give us another season. Oh, yeah. We should let the people know. Yeah, please, if you want more of this, do something about it. <laughs> Just Between Us is hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabby Dunn. Our engineer is Brendan Burns. He composed our killer theme music. Our producer is Melissa D. Motz, and our supervising producer is Josephine Martirana. Our executive producer is Chris Bannon. Just Between Us is a production of Stitcher. If this gets canceled, it's on you. Stitcher.